This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs. Introducing the new spicy Cajun chicken sub, Cajun seasoned grilled chicken breast, zesty cherry peppers, and house-made Cajun mayo. Just $5.55 for a medium. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs would donate a minimum of $1 million in 2019 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.11% of every purchase. From New York City, it's the Todd Berry Podcast. The Todd Berry Podcast. Hey, welcome to episode six of my podcast. Today I'm talking to Tom Ryan, who's one of my oldest comedy friends. We started doing comedy together in Florida over 25 years ago. And he lives in New York City now, like I do. Thought it'd be fun to talk to someone who saw me way back before I was smooth. Before I was smooth. I said that twice to show how smooth I am. All right, here's Tom Ryan. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Todd Barry Podcast. Uh, today on the show, I have uh, someone who's known me almost longer than anyone, comedy-wise. Uh, he saw me go on stage the third time I ever went on stage. Uh, his name's Tom Ryan. Tom? Hey, Todd. What's going on? Good uh, to be here. I have not Tom's, seen you since yeah. 1987. That's not yeah. true. But uh, Tom lives in New York now, but he did see me. You saw me. Um, I started in Florida. Tom and I both started doing comedy in Florida. Right. Uh, you saw me my third time on stage, right? Third time. At the I had always thought it was your second time. We yeah, recently yeah. talked about yeah, this, yeah. and you found out. It's funny how you can do like uh, comedy forensics and go back in time and remember how things played out. Yeah. It was, I was a year into comedy and a guy named Ron Bennington, who many people know, yeah, yeah. came in and said, there's this good guy uh, or, or funny guy that uh, I saw the other night. He's going to be here tonight doing an open mic. His name's Todd Barry. And, uh, and you never liked to hear that a new guy was on the scene that was funny. So, and you came in and did very well. Third time on stage. Yeah. The, uh, the Florida comedy scene was actually, this was in uh, 87. 87. November 1st is when I first went on stage at the uh, at the uh, place called Coconuts Comedy Club in North Miami, Florida. Then I think I did this the comic strip in Fort Lauderdale. And then my third uh, spot, open mic spot, was uh, at the Comedy Corner in West Palm Beach where you saw me. You were working at his, his I was, doorman. I was the doorman. And there. you were doing... Comedy spots. There. I had a uh, I had a year under my belt at that point. I was about a year and a couple months into it, and I was the doorman. And it's amazing how great that Tuesday night open mic. They used to pack three hundred fifty people into that showroom on a Tuesday night because somehow this open mic thing caught right. on. This was the uh, comedy boom of the late 80s. Yeah, exactly. And we were so lucky to go up in front of 350 people and be trying new material, and uh, we had no idea how spoiled we were with yeah, those yeah. crowds. And the, the comic strip, same way in Fort Lauderdale comic strip. Hear that siren? Then we're in New York, baby. Yeah. New York, baby. Why be in a studio when you can be in your kitchen right. with unsoundproofed windows? Um, but the way it worked back then, at least... See, now comedians like in L.A. and Florida, they have... Or in L.A. and New York, 
it's really hard to uh, there's no like open mic that people are excited about other than the comedians right. so they have to do these shows where they bring audience members and it's you know that's good but you run out of friends at some point absolutely but back in the 80s they used to do the open mic before like a regular headliner show and the place would be packed and people were just like excited about comedy so you could play for a real audience instead of a bunch of uh, comedians who already saw you and are mad at you <laughs> It was, uh, they, what they would do was they would have a full week, Tuesday through Sunday club. They would have a house MC, maybe do two minutes up front. A feature act who was a traveling act that would do 25 to 30. The headliner would do 45 to an hour. So on the open mic nights, they would have the feature come in a night early. So the show would be 10 open micers, locals. And then the, the, the half-hour feature act would, would headline the show and do maybe 35 minutes. And that crowd used to love the, the whole show. And they got into open mics. They, they, were, they, they were pulling for you back then. Yeah, like, hey, yeah. how'd that new joke? You, you, you reworded that one and all that. You yeah, know. it was really weird because uh, yeah. it was like actually doing real shows right from the beginning. Yeah. But also it led to... Uh, Paid work pretty quickly. When was your first? I uh, when was your first time on stage? The first time on stage was June. Well, it's funny. I, I was telling you earlier. I keep yeah meticulous notes. notes here. I, I for some reason when I started in comedy, I thought I should start writing down where I performed and how I did. And I started this list that lasted about three months, and I go, well, i got to keep it going. Can you read one for me? Yeah. I mean, the I have, and I photocopied some of them out of my old Find one with the most ridiculous name, maybe. Oh, man. Uh, well, I first started, I started as a doorman at a club, and I started writing down. I thought, it. I, I really need to write down these names yeah. of who came through. And this is the first let's say five months of names that worked the comedy corner. Here are just the first comic to ever go on stage there was Gene Marola. Remember Gene who yeah, from Fort Lauderdale? John Mendoza was week two, who worked with Vince Champ. Oh, yeah, infamous Vince, Vince Champ. Champ. Fourth week, third week was Adam Lizzie. Fourth week, I have it written down here, Brian Reagan. Everybody butchered that name. <laughs> Brian Reagan. So Brian Reagan, what year was that? That was uh, 86. This was like April of 86. I hadn't yet gone on stage. Alan Havey was week six. Ken Rogerson, uh, somebody who I have written down as Liz Winstead, S-T-E-A-D-T. Yeah, I remember seeing Liz she Winstead. Was, Probably she was, was it 26 years ago, maybe, 25 she, years ago. Th this is 1986. Uh, and then, oh, I have written down here, I, I misspelled everybody's name, Jeff Garland. Jeff Garland. Now, all these were opening acts. Brian Regan, Liz Winstead, and Jeff Garland were all feature acts with a half hour. So, and I mean, it goes on and on, my list. And uh, Jeff Foxworthy. There's Jeff Foxworthy early on, before his redneck jokes. And uh, on and on the list goes. Tim we should, Wilson. Yeah, we should tell people guy. now that some of the two of the people we started with down right. there who, and not everyone even believes this when I tell them that. I sort of have to go, no, it's true, we're, right. we're Larry the Cable Guy. Uh -huh. This is who we used to open mic with, and Carrot Top. And Carrot Top. Um, That's right. So that was pretty amazing. You remember Carrot Top? He would just like, he was like on the periphery, like every once in a while. 
this dude Carrot Top would show up. And you couldn't even tell if he was like overly serious about it because just every once in a while you'd see Carrot Top, short haired guy. Right. Nice guy. Right. Not, not too crazy looking. Uh huh. And he always did the props, right? Always did the props from day. Uh, now, he, I saw him his second time on stage. I have a knack for seeing people early on. <laughs> and, and, uh, and he 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 blew the roof off the place from day one. Uh-huh. And local comics, even before you got there in that first year, local comics used to give him grief for using props. It's not fair. It's not fair using props. And yet, you know, five years later, he's selling out theaters. It's like. If you're selling out theaters, yeah. use all the props. You go try to use. Yeah, I never props had a problem with it. Right? Me neither. Everyone would be like, yeah, people used to. He used to be like the whipping boy. Yeah, uh, I mean, and I was always like, why did he's not? He's just doing a silly act. He's yeah. not pretending. He's not doing a silly act. He's not pretending he's political. Yeah, he's just a guy doing a silly act, there's, and uh, people are enjoying it. Who cares? There's 30 of us standing in front of a mic telling jokes. Yeah, he's a guy with props. Who's the original one? I mean, who's he's, right. he's more original than than us, just sitting there. And then uh, Larry, the cable guy, was Dan Whitney. Yeah, Dan Whitney. Yeah. The first time I went to an open mic before the Comedy Corner opened, I went, and I remember I was so nervous because I knew I wanted to do comedy. And I went to the uh, an open mic that they had in the mall at a restaurant in the mall, and I saw Dan Whitney in October of '85, and I think it was about his fourth time on stage, and he he was not cable guy, and he didn't have a southern accent, and um, and I talked to him after this show, and I asked him how much material do you have, and he said, oh, I got about two hours, and. <laughs> And but he he just meant that he could talk for two hours, and, and I thought, oh, and I was so disheartened that a guy who's only been on stage four times already has two hours. And luckily, I found out no, you build it at a minute at a time. But I almost never went into comedy after I heard that. And he used to come by the comedy corner when it opened, and it was odd because I used to drive from my apartment. He was still living with his parents. I would drive by their house. And literally knock on the door. Hi, Mrs. Whitney. Is Dan home? You know, <laughs> not knowing yeah, he was going to talk. In, you were talking Tom. about the future Larry the Cable. Exactly. Guy. And 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 uh, his dad was a preacher. Mm-hmm. And I remember I would walk in, and Dan wasn't ready yet. And for some reason, and I was going through a heavy agnostic phase at the time. So right. My dad, or, or myself, and Mister Cable Guy, Larry's dad, Dan's mm-hmm. dad, uh, good guy, Mister Whitney. We would talk about the Bible and, and in a very uh, non-confrontational way, argue about the Bible <laughs> while I'm waiting for Dan to get ready. No, That's so great that and you then could we would say, drive uh, down to Miami. That you've argued with Dan, with Larry the Cable Guy's father dad. in his own house. About the Bible. 26 years ago. Exactly. And yeah, I remember Dan Whitney, a.k.a. Larry. Uh, he's He got me one of my first paid shows ever in Clearwater, Florida, where he drove me for three hours in his... Either it was Camaro or a Firebird. Uh, Trans Am. Trans Am. That's right. It was a Trans Am. A, a white Trans Am. A white Trans Am. And it's just, it's kind of surreal. That, that Absolutely. That and he's an arena comic. I still feel guilty about giving him so much shit about having a Trans Am. I go, <laughs> you don't, it's a horrible car to own. I didn't filter back then. Oh, God, how do you own something like that? It's like a, 
it's a redneck mobile, you know, and just right. little, uh, little did I know he was onto his early, uh, into his, uh, he was ahead of the curve on his, his, his future self. How many times did you go on stage before you got paid? Like, and I could probably go through my notes and figure that out, but I remember a guy named David Glickman. Uh-huh. He's the he guy who put me on stage very That's person. right. Yeah. That's a, he, and, and me as well, the MC, David yeah. Glickman at Coconuts. Uh, about three months in, he got me a gig for $20. And I mean, I was so nervous, and I, but yet so exhilarated about the fact that technically... I'm a professional now. You yeah. can never take that $20 away from me. And I made money doing comedy with my material. Yeah, because there was so much work down there in Florida. Like, just that, like, one chain of comedy clubs. There was, like, seven of them. Yeah. So if yeah. you were on the road, you could literally come down and have a two-month working trip to Florida as a completely unknown comic. Uh, absolutely. And have your whole, everything paid for you. get paid. You're just doing comedy. You'd have hotel rooms. And you were in yeah. Florida for two months. So absolutely, there were a lot of coconuts right. and uh, and a lot of one nighters and 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 my second paid gig, oddly enough, Jeff Garland uh, hired me to work his brother's. His brother ran like a uh, summer camp, and so it was camp counselors from all around Florida. And Jeff Garland headlined it, and he he got me the feature spot or twenty minute spot for fifty dollars, and I couldn't believe it. And, and and it's always fun to say, yeah, Jeff Garland got me one of my first ever paid. Right, I hear some of the money back then. Like I remember doing one night. Uh, I think there's a baby in my hallway. Oh yeah, <laughs> is this a good mic? Is it picking up the baby in my hallway? Uh yeah, I remember doing shows for. Oh, that's a dog. Dog. That's cool. <laughs> That's great. We got to leave this in. Yeah, absolutely. Leave fucking up my tight podcast. There's I'm doing a here. dog in the hallway attacking a baby. <laughs> the, um, but I hear some of the money that I got paid 25 years ago, and you're like, "Why? I, I do that now." It's just like a few hundred bucks in a um, in a hotel room. I always absolutely. used to take the hotel room. That was my yeah. rule. I would do a show like 13 minutes from my house. And, and if it came with a day's in room, I was like, yeah. I would pack a bag. That's great. And then I would just lie there in my bed and go, why? I'm just like, why am I? My house is here? like 15 minutes away. Right. And I have a car. It's just the idea of like, no, this comes with a hotel room. I am taking a hotel room. You, you take everything you could possibly get from them. Yeah. But I remember the uh, one of my first paid gigs, the guy came up to me after an open light night, and he, said, he worked for this guy, Tubby Boots. Do you remember uh, Tubby yes, Boots? but I never worked with him. Was like, I, I don't even know name. how you describe what Tubby Boots did. He was like a transvestite, yeah. heavy, fat, lounge act. And, and he had a name. Well, that would be something you would remember. So he had a bit of a name in Florida. I remember Yeah, he, he was just one of these guys. Shows. Yeah, it was just a weird, yeah. fat transvestite. Uh-huh. But borderline transvestite, because it wasn't quite... Right. It wasn't like he would walk by, she would walk by, and he'd go, oh, my God, there's a woman who just walked by me. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was kind of like, oh, there's someone. Oh, Tubby Boots. Yeah, that's that's how I would describe what just walked by me. Tubby Boots. And then... And it was uh, a 20... They gave me $25. Wow. Yeah. That's great. But I was going to ask you now, I remember... Um, a lot of they used to use comedians to open for people exactly and he used to be like the king of getting these gigs of like opening for people who I wouldn't ever 
know would have a comedian I mean, as an opening act? It was such a thrill. I was about a year and a half into comedy, and I had 20, 25 minutes, and I got to open for John Prine. Uh, yeah. And Sandy Koufax was in the audience that night, oh, even yeah. though I didn't get to meet him. He was a big John But Prine I remember guy. you opened I, – yeah, I remember you getting these gigs where you would tell me about them, and I would – because I know that you know different comics get sort of nervous about different things, and I know that you don't really like working like comedy clubs as much right. as I might like working them. Uh-huh. But then you would go and like open for Michael Bolton From, at an arena in Tampa. That was the largest crowd I ever did was Michael Bolton, nine thousand people, and they were there to see Michael Bolton. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah I figured that. You no just offense, but, uh, you yeah. got to do a half hour. You have to do a half hour. Oh, really? Hour. Yeah, a half hour. You, we need to fill this time. And you go out into this cavernous arena, and I think if they're not there for comedy, over 4,000, you're really stretching it for a comic to go on. This is 9,000, a cavernous place. And this was the peak of Michael Bolton's popularity. The peak of his popularity. And, And they go, and within seven minutes, you you know, there's an entire section going, Michael Bolton. And I'm like, and I'm just plowing through, knowing I got to, and I think I got 200 bucks, you know, and I'm just going, I got to get through the time. And then after a while, I realized I'm not going to make it to my full half hour. And I think I got off in 22 minutes. And as, as the, the chants were spreading a little bit of scattered booze and I'm just plowing ahead, getting a little bit of laughter, but people are restless. All these people are still coming in. It's echoey. And I do 22, 23 minutes, and I, I think it was his manager. It wasn't the promoters. They didn't care. Yeah. His manager, you said you were going to do a half hour. I'm like, did you hear it out there? <laughs> right. You know? and, and, I mean, and other than that, that was a, a negative uh, experience in those theaters. But some of them were great, like the John Prine, mm-hmm. great crowd. And, and to get to do... He's like a what, singer-songwriter? Folks? Singer-songwriter yeah. guy, yeah. He's been around for years and years. I um. That was great, you know. And REO Speedwagon. REO Speedwagon at the uh, Florida Theater. Aretha Franklin a bunch of times. B.B. King. I mean, it was... Uh, Didn't you open for Jeff Beck? Uh, yeah, Jeff Beck at the Florida the Theater. Idea of, the uh, idea of Jeff Beck having a comedian open exactly. for Exactly. And uh, here's an odd thing that happened with uh, Jeff Beck. It was at the Florida Theater in Jacksonville. And I don't know what... This is maybe mid-90s. But my cousin... My cousin Jerry is a guitar player and a huge Jeff Beck fan. He lived in South Florida. We drive up to Jacksonville. We get there early enough to go watch Jeff Beck and his band doing rehearsals. Mm -hmm. And literally, we walk into the theater. We're the only two people in the theater, and Jeff Beck's up there playing guitar. And he stops playing, and he says, who are those two? He asks somebody, who are those two? He doesn't want anybody in there hearing rehearse. So the people come over. Who are you? I go, I'm the opening act. This is my cousin. Sorry, can't do it. And apparently he felt bad. He said, oh, we'll we'll meet them later. But I can't have anybody hearing my rehearsals. And then we didn't get to meet them afterwards. But he's... I can sort of understand that, though. You know what I mean? Someone's staring at you when you're playing out of tune or something. And especially, yeah. And now you could do it, you know, Just having someone in your face. You're right. Like, I know it's it's innocent. Exactly. Like the whole no eye contact thing, I sort of get it. Yeah, I, I, on some <laughs> level, not like in a hallway, right. but just like, but just like, don't yeah, get in my I'm face. It's more to, of a don't get in my right, face. Right, thing. right. And and years later, I now kind of understand that. But I was, you know, did uh, you talk to him afterwards? Or? No, he he ended up having uh, apparently it was an early show in the tour, so he 
had an hour-long meeting with his band afterwards, and he goes through the show and and points out like we missed this here. He's really? very meticulous. Wow. And 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 we were waiting around because my cousin really wanted to meet Jeff Beck. So did I, but my cousin even more so. And they just finally said, you know, it's been about an hour and a half. It just looks like you're not. He's not going to be meeting people tonight. He's right. still working with the band afterwards. The Michael Bolton thing kills me because, like, what is? How does it serve Michael Bolton to have someone? Bombing, uh, which any most comics would bomb in front of. Like, I'm sure I would have died. Yeah, a million deaths. But what, like, I, I stay up there for, for a full thirty, like to I sell know. drinks. That's like, that's a lot of what it ended up being. We need to sell drinks while they're they're building up a thirst, booing you. The, so. uh, <laughs> exactly. And the, the that's what I found out afterwards is the theaters designed it so that they they need that intermission so that the whole place goes out gets their drinks and then comes back in it's a, it's the drink break and that's what it, it turns out so they'll throw up anybody for twenty minutes and a comedian is the easy logistics yeah. you know I once got offered um, to open for the Beach Boys at Action Park wow. in New Jersey okay. and it was like July Fourth yeah weekends and I was just like. There's no way. <laughs> right. Like, for a second, you know, the warrior in me was like, I'm sure I've told the story, but uh was like, yeah, you got to do it. But then I was like, I'm gonna, this is not going to go well. Right. And then I know the guy who did it, and he got booed off the stage, oh, at least yeah. one of the shows. I did an outdoor. Outdoor is, is very difficult. I opened for uh, Hootie and the Blowfish on an outdoor gig. Did you really? <laughs> Horrible. And, and I kid you not, this was up in Connecticut. Between the stage and the audience was a small pond that was a decent-sized pond. And you're trying to connect, and the sun was still up. I'm trying to connect with a crowd that still was all Play to the ducks, right? Yeah. And so was this when they were super popular? Uh, just at the uh, right past their peak of popularity, yeah. But um, the story you reminded me of earlier when you said the... Uh, I forget what it said to trigger this, but... I used to, um, they, they would book some very, comedy clubs were pretty experimental back then, and they used to start filling their Monday nights with whoever was on tour. Right. They'd bring in people like Matt Guitar Murphy and fill it out. they go, we have a venue here. Right. The people who owned it were concert promoters. They owned the comedy corner. Uh, Timothy Leary performed there one night, and this is probably 88, 89, and Timothy Leary was going on a tour of comedy clubs, and they booked him, and he, and he packed it out. And I emceed that show and got to drive Timothy Leary back to the hotel in my Chevette. Wow. Yeah. And he, it was incredible. I mean, growing up, you hear about this guy, Timothy Leary, who is a big, you know, proponent of acid. And and I remember somebody asked him, he had a question and answer. They said, when was the last time you tripped on acid? And he said, uh, last week. And he's an old guy at this right. point. And then I got to drive him to the hotel. It was about a five or seven minute draw, ride. And he just wanted to talk about computers. And it was, and I'm just driving in my Chevette thinking, how did... Did diving into this world of comedy, I'm now riding in my Chevette with Timothy Leary talking about computers. So, you know, I mean, that's... I also love that he had no uh, demands as far as what kind of car. 
Oh, right, exactly. He Abby, was fine. No complaints. No complaints at all. And and Abby Hoffman about three weeks later. Abby Hoffman in the same Chevette. Comedy clubs. I don't know if they do that quite as much, but they used to do that thing where they would just like anyone. I think they just found out like people would find out like yeah. this guy's got a name not for comedy. If we can get 200 people in this room, because then that's when, like, soap stars started doing comedy. Yeah, that's right. There was actually, I was in a comedy club in in uh, Tennessee where on their calendar was a band made up of general hospital oh. actors. <clears throat> Amazing. They toured comedy clubs. It's like, they're not even comedians, and they're a band, and, made, uh, and there's, like, yeah. there's like people, I'm going to go see this band, it's made up of uh, people who are actors on general hospital, and just... They, and, and maybe they're a good band. No offense to right. them. Right. Uh, no judgment, but it is a little curious. The uh, the cl- These clubs were booming so well that they just figured, if we're filling it up five nights a week, why not fill the Monday and Tuesday nights? And they, they were used to be able to do that. Um, that reminded me, though, when we're talking about the Chevette, driving Chevette, because um, you have a good story about, uh, I think it was the condo in... Let's just uh, let's not reveal where it was, but it was yeah. in Georgia, in Georgia, in a major city in Georgia, right? That everyone has already figured out. Yeah, um, and they used to this club there used to have a is that where the comedy club? Yeah, condo? yeah, and they had this terrible condo that was really borderline cracky. Yes, like actually, where you're like, oh, this is not just not nice. This is potentially dangerous. Dangerous. And absolutely. I remember though, they also had a a, a um, I think this was the same place that had a deal with a limo company. So when you flew down there, they picked you up in a white limousine and then took you into this like borderline crack housing complex <laughs> to drop you off. That might have been the one that had the limo deal. Now, didn't you have you had? A, I've had. Is that the one where you overheard a fight? Well, it was so bizarre. It was this loud fight between a father, a drunken father, and a son who, from what I gathered, because. I could hear every word clearly, was on again, off again with crack. And on that night, he was on again. And they're just, and it's a loud, drunken, cops-like fight, like you would see on right. the Who the fuck do you think you are? <laughs> Who fuck you do, you motherfucker? <laughs> and it's going on. And the only reason... That I didn't call, and I'm thinking this is going to end in gunfire. This right. is gonna. I don't know what's going to happen, but I can't call nine one one because I'm the only other occupied apartment in this four unit, and they will know it's right. that guy. Now, not only that, there was in the in the closet that stored the hot water heater. Mm-hmm. I guess the the hot water heater, the steam, whatever, it had worn down the drywall. The reason I could hear it so well that when you pull back the door and see the hot water heater, you can see the light into the next apartment. So they're having a fight in their kitchen, and literally the sound is coming through the bottom in a, I can see into the, like, the area between their stove and refrigerator and the light coming through their kitchen. So then what I did for my own amusement is that I had my tape recorder there and I pulled, put my tape recorder up to the oh, gap and I, I had to take 15 minutes. I've it? never, I still have it. It's not that good a sound quality and I would never release it because you know, you, the, somebody would be able to have done it. For oh, me. really? I think so. Oh, I mean, wow. 
But wasn't there a line where, where I remember go? the the mono? What was that one? That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's what I you always remember about that story. Mono e mono. Like he called right them out. No, yeah. I mean, they were they were threatening to put mono. <laughs> I'll have to go back and listen to the tape. That's hilarious. And maybe the idea of calling someone out mono. and then using, being trying to be scary by using mono e mono. With, hey, I'm calling with, you out mono e mono. And I don't know if it was the son who called right. the dad mono e mono or the. It's like it sounds like a, a wine bar or something. Yeah, mono e mono. But it was, it was it was just this. Ah oh man, I'll have to go back and dig out that tape and. Uh, that's a whole different podcast. That was um. I remember you had another story about, uh, weren't you on a bus to a gig once and there was a guy, a three-card Monty incident? Yeah, a three-card Monty. Where were we going? I, w- I forget where I was, but I was going to Cleveland. And I think my car had broken down. And, and there was a period of time where I had a bunch of road gigs booked. And my car had broken down, and I think I left it in Buffalo or whatever and just routed my way on Greyhound from week to week on these gigs. Mm-hmm. And it was in the wintertime, and I took a Greyhound bus into Cleveland, and it was just the most depressing thing. When you go, how, again, how have I ended up on Greyhound, this world that I went into, this comedy? I'm sitting on a Greyhound bus, sometimes doing a 20-hour trip, and uh, and the this guy, this big guy, Starts playing three card money in the back of the bus, and I'm just going, oh, no, this is not gonna, this isn't gonna go well. Like he was, he's doing a thing where he was trying to get people to watch, like he was trying to scam people. Yeah. So he starts playing and see, watch the red, watch the black, just like you see the the guys on the street doing three card money. That's like the most greyhound. That's like so greyhound you Uh, wouldn't actually uh, think would happen in greyhound. (laughs) And there's this this young kid who's like probably 18, and I can see. He's he. You can see his interest turn toward it. Now you can't say to him, "Hey, man, it's right. a scam." So, and the whole bus is aware of it. And he goes, "Yeah, I'll, I'll try." Watch the red, watch the black, and the kid's face just goes, "Oh, lost twenty dollars." And then then they know how to say, "Oh, no, you didn't pay attention." Right. Try it again. Forty dollars. And and he's like. Hey, man, give me my fucking money back. You lost. You lost. Give me my fucking money back. And he reaches in and grabs the money out of the guy's pocket. And the big guy just takes him, puts him up against the side of the bus, and starts pummeling him. And, like, to get his money back. Now this kid's all bloodied. And by then, like, six people come out of the bus to um, break up the fight. The military guy? Was getting his ass kicked? Yeah, he was a he was a military guy, but he had just been on. But he he was uh, yeah. This but he was wasn't a, as big as the other exactly. Guy. The other guy was was a really big guy, and 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 it was it was a black guy, the big black guy against the little white guy, and just what a greyhound bus needs is racial tension <laughs> <laughs> while you're doing seventy five miles an hour, and it's snowing out, and the bus had to pull over to the shoulder. And the whole bus is kind of paying attention to the fight and freaking out about the fact that this bus driver is jamming on his brakes onto an icy shoulder of the road. And I'm thinking, this is it. We're going down. We're going down a ravine. We're going to roll the bus because of this three-car money. Uh, and um, and then, so then they, they separate them. They get them back. And then we finally get to Cleveland, and the guy goes and talks to the cops. And the cops are just shrugging like, what can I do? 
What can we do? Wow. Yeah, and that was that was. That's uh, weird to do three card money without like because in New York you I haven't seen it a lot lately, but you see it way more. But they always have you know a few plants working with them. Yeah, that, who like right. pretend to win or that, like, that, that's or right. Oh man, and they all turn to you. Like, they're, like, really bad actors. When I, it's funny when I was... But to do it solo on a bus. On a bus. Although he did seem to get $40 out. And I forget if he, like, had a piece of, like, cardboard on his lap or whatever, you know, however he did it. But, uh, yeah, man, just a bizarre story. And uh, and I, 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 the only reason I knew, uh, I got burnt. When I was 20 years old, I was a very naive 20, my first time. Uh, living in New York briefly, way back when, I was a very naive 20-year-old walking down the street. And I go, hey, they won. I know I can win. And I throw down my 20. I got burned once. And instead of walking away, I go, I must not have been paying attention. I threw another 20 down. And it was a life-changing $40 burn. Yeah. And and that's so I'm acting as though, hey, I know the scam. But the only reason I knew the scam was because I got right. burned many years before. You know, I remember seeing it in New York, and I don't even think I said anything out loud, but I just kind of gave a look that yeah. let them know that uh, I know you're about to rip someone off. And the guy gave me a glare that was like a get the fuck out of here yeah, glare. Wow. Like this was all communicated without actual talking. That's, it was like I see that you know I'm about to rip people off, yeah. and I feel like you might. Tell them that I'm about to rip them off, and I'm letting you know that you shouldn't do that. Great. That was all, and, uh, <laughs> was all communicated I, with stares. I wish I could remember the exact story, but uh, Brian Regan, he, I was telling him about the three-card money thing when I got burned in New York, and he goes, when he was a kid, he was there with his dad, and Brian somehow figured out, oh, it's a scam. Hey, it's a scam. And the three-car money guy comes over to me and goes, you tell one more person that, and I will break your, whatever he said, I will mm-hmm. bust your face. You know? And he was like, whoa. He was a kid? Yeah, he was a... But uh, they're so afraid of cops that I feel like you could stand up to them and yeah, just go, oh, there's right. a cop around the corner. Exactly, yeah. But, yeah, I remember I had a guy in New York, and I'm usually pretty uh, wary of scams, and I don't think I'm pretty scammable, but... This guy came up to me and he just kind of bumped into me and he dropped something yeah. and it broke. He's like, oh, man, you broke my oh. – you owe me a oh, – and this man. guy walks by and goes, it's a scam. It's just like – I go, I'm not going to – oh, okay, yeah. I guess I'm uh-huh. not going to buy you a new yeah. Snapple a or new whatever you're claiming I broke. That's funny. And, but, um, a scam. What a scam. Now, back to comedy. Yeah. You, you sort of uh, – you did something pretty smart. You started doing these corporate gigs. Yeah. Which – for those of you, they're pretty self-explanatory. They're yeah. Yeah, a club, or not a club, a, a corporation hires you to perform at a private function of theirs. Right. Uh, I'm not good at them. I've done them. Uh, I, I've done a handful of good ones. Uh-huh. And then I've done others because you're just really, you don't have any support system. No, right? You're in a conference room at a Sheridan in, in Pennsylvania. You you hope that they get sound and lighting Right. Yeah. And you hope that the room is set up properly. You know, so often there's a dance floor. I always ask them now, is there a dance floor between me and the audience? And it was odd how I kind of stumbled. I kind of was starting to burn out on clubs. Uh-huh. On comedy and clubs, I had yeah. done I had done uh, Caroline's Comedy Hour, and I had a bit, which I've been doing for years, about Arm & Hammer baking soda. <laughs> And I'm still to this day. It's still the bit that people still come up. Hey, baking soda. That's you know. Yeah. And they saw it. 
on Caroline's Comedy Hour, and they tracked me down. They said, we're doing three conventions out west. Arm and Hammer did? Arm and Hammer. Oh, wow. And they said, we want you to fly out and do your regular show, but make sure you do the baking soda bit. So I expanded it. And they were they were launching their underarm deodorant. <laughs> so this is the only time I've ever been a prop comic. I came walking out. I go, wouldn't this have worked? And I had two boxes of baking soda. Oh, that's funny. Wow, I didn't killed. know you did that. It killed. And uh, and then I did the whole long baking soda bit, the expanded version, and then did two other cities with them. And it couldn't have gone better. And I made more money in one night than I made in two weeks at a comedy club. And I did three of those, so I made like... Ten times what I made in comedy clubs in a month in three nights. Right. And this opened up a whole new thing. I'm, I'm going to go that way. I want to get out of debt and all that. And I had a hot streak in corporate gigs for a while. And then they, they collapsed in about the end of 2007. And and I, they're, they're starting to come back. I still do them, but I haven't uh, not nearly as many as I used to. So. Yeah, I got hired through a friend to do one for a... A famous chain of uh, novelty stores that sort of, uh, I guess I could say the name. I forgot the name of the place. Oh. But it's, uh, what is the name of the place? I don't know. It's Pier One? No, not no, Pier One. Spencer's? Spencer's. Spencer, yeah. Spencer's. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I got a, That's yeah, whatever. I'll do it anyway. <laughs> they, uh, they hired me through a friend to do this show, and like, like the vice president went up there and he killed, right? I, yeah, that can and, happen uh, too. Right. Yeah. They do inside, but he stuff. was real dirty. So I went up there and go, "Oh, okay." Because normally it's corporate gigs, which yeah. is why I have a problem with them. Yeah, I'm not that dirty, but I, I like to occasionally say a shit or a fuck, right. and uh, I don't like to have to sort of just check where what I'm saying. So I went up there and I was dirty at the beginning, and it was yeah. going really well. And this was in like a, uh, a conference room in like a Sheridan, as I used right. the example earlier. And then, uh, then I just started slowly bombing. Uh, and like yeah. people were like walking up to tables like this. I remember this woman came up, just started to have a conversation, like got on her knees and started talking to her friend who yeah. was at the table at the front table. And, and, and I was like, you're just going to have a conversation. Right. Right. And then like, uh, it just, it was one of those things where you're on stage and you're like, all I'm going to do now is do the agreed amount of time. And that, then they can't say anything. That's right. All I can say is you bombed. Yeah. But you can't say you didn't do the time. So I'm not going to pay you. It, it, and I remember the woman's like trying to pay me. She's like kind of like handing me the check, but then taking it back, like sort of wow. snotty teasing yeah. me. And I was like, you know what? You watched a video of me. Right. That's right. You knew what I was going to do. And then I remember this, this, these people came up from a table and they walked by me and they go, we get it. Yeah. <laughs> so right. me feel That's good. what happens sometimes. Like they were like embarrassed that yeah. they were there with all these people who were just being shitty to me. The worst. Yeah. The worst one I ever did was, and this is for the Speakers Bureau that used to get me about a third of my work per year. Uh They paid really well. Yeah. And it was a gig in Fort Myers, Florida, in front of 600 meeting planners. And I thought, if this goes well, this could lead to so many more gigs. Right. So instead they have this dance troupe with a four-decade musical review go up in front of me, and I didn't realize the audience right. was going to be this way. And I'm talking like dancing and dancing girls like you would see in a Vegas right. review show, right. like a Mardi Gras type parade. Very feel-goody. Very, exactly. <laughs> and I tell the MC, I go, okay, bring me out. Oh, 
and they had given the audience drumsticks <laughs> to, to play along with that's these, just like the, the, this the is like a story you'd make up but oh, i know exactly. it's true yeah. and and so i say okay just say he's from here he's been on this please welcome tom ryan instead the guy goes and he thinks he's being clever please put your drumsticks together for tom ryan now they're doing that so i do my first bit it gets a decent land and they're drunk they've been out playing golf all day it was a nightmare now this was the only show that the guy who owned the speakers bureau was at for all the and he so said, he was the, the main booking guy who got you the game the main booking guy who right. had never seen me i right. did like 15 shows for them and they all went well the one he shows up at it was life changing. It was. I've never worked. It's just like, since. Uh, it's like it's just unbelievable. Like the, the way these people you, put shows together. It's like yeah. So you have the dancing review and then the kind of quiet yeah, cerebral comic. Exactly. And you think that's the order right. that it should be right? Like dancing review, hand out drumsticks to drunk people, <laughs> yeah. tell them to whack on the table, and right. then here's a quiet guy who's going to go and, up and talk to you and 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 conclude. That he's not funny. Right, right. He's just not funny. How long did you have to do? I had to do like 40, and they were waving me off within 2025. And and there were like two people that tried to, like, literally tried to console me after yeah. the show. And I'm over there, the worst fucking gig I've yeah. ever fucking yeah. No, you were fine. There were people around us laughing. No, there were not. This is <laughs> life-changing. And it was. Yeah, my, my income plummeted after that. I'm not kidding. That was a life changing gig. Yeah, just it's just unbelievable yeah. how they they don't even there's like basic things you have to go. We have to go. Hey, I know you want to have coffee and dessert, right? But you can't pass out coffee and dessert while you're introducing me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't have them all looking down the at cake. The, that they're just—it's the first time they're seeing this cake. You, so they're like, "Holy wow, cake!" You, you can't. Oh, and there's a show going on. Uh, you cannot compete. And it's against a subtle, cake. quiet guy. Yeah, you can't compete against cake. Yeah, the, and clattering dishes. Oh, it's just, so that is the downside. Except there's huge money in them. Right? There's. Yeah. I yeah. mean, the money was. I'm trying. I'm still trying to get back on that entrance ramp. You know. And the thing I remember you telling me, like. Um, because you generally have to work clean, but you said didn't you do the one for Continental Airlines. Continental Airlines. And the present was it the the uh, I wish I could remember his name because he was a, kind of became a famous CEO. Yeah, he was one of those guys you would see like Bethune in the opening. Or, uh, yeah, right. He was a great guy. Funny. He's like guy. Gordon Bethune or something. That's it, Gordon. Gordon. Wow, I just Bethune. remembered. That's great. The name of Continental Airlines' <laughs> president, and he was into racing cars and all that. They go. Pick on him all you want. He pulled me aside for. He goes, say whatever you want. Language, we don't care. This is the way we run our company. That you is can say whatever so you want. Unbelievable. And they were the best crowd and uh, great, great gig. Because I remember doing one for a I huge, think that's a a huge stock brokerage, and uh, this woman comes in right before she's like, squeaky clean, right, yeah. like like. Really, for stockbrokers, I'm sure they when right. the market plummets, they're just right. <laughs> yeah. there's no shits or fucks yeah, that exactly. come out of their mouths. It's just a uh, oh hey jeepers creepers jeepers. The, the market crashed today yeah. golly jeepers right dag nabbit yeah <laughs> exactly do you go to movies I think they're slowly changing where you can get a little but but you know not it's really. just designed for uh, I think it's for you know one person's wife or husband in the crowd okay. going oh, my my wife. 
was really offended, uh, and that, or my husband was really offended, and that's all it takes. Yeah, and, and then, then uh, the other three hundred people who don't give a shit. Right now, or they'll they'll you, they'll even tell you up. Yeah, go ahead and do it. But the wrong person tells you you can get a little blue. Right then. The person who didn't want you to, they override that person. Have you ever had the one where they tell you to pick on someone and the person is not at all enjoying? Uh, absolutely, and I and I totally. After a while, I said I don't I don't pick on people anymore. Right, that's smart. Or they tell you, oh yeah, everybody's going to get this, and then you find out, wait a minute, there's 400 people in the crowd, nobody even knows that person, and you're out doing stuff that's not even, uh, you know, going over at all with them. Yeah, I remember I did one of those. Wasn't it was barely even a corporate gig, but it was uh, it was like a private party at this weird golf club, and they the guy was trying to get me to do this joke where I said one of the members died, like that was the joke. Wow! And he said, "No, it's going to be great. Everyone will be like." And I said it, and people were like horrified. Like I went up there, I go, "I'm sorry, I said this guy passed away," (laughs) (laughs) and people are like, "What?" And then I'm like, "Why?" And I'm like, "Why would you?" Now they hate you. Why would you tell me that that as a joke to tell them that their friend died? Right. But the bigger question is like, it's just amazing looking back. Like I say no now to shows that are. Cakewalks compared to. I actually, there was a time where I actually said, "Yeah, for seventy five dollars, I will. Uh, yeah, I'll do a right. show where I'm in a private indoor virtual golf club, uh, claiming that someone died, exactly. one of their members died for, for laughs." I remember doing a. Um, there was a tour bus that was for tourists in South Florida, and they literally did a tour. But on the ride back from wherever they were going, they didn't have anything to do. So they go, you're going to be standing in front of the tour bus. We have a microphone for the normally the tour guide uses and just do 20 minutes. <laughs> so that was the gig. And you did it? Yeah. And I had to, I, I forget because I had to ride up, drive my car up to meet the bus. <clears throat> then the tour bus came back. Then they paid me to take a cab back to my car to get home. It was some of the things you do. What? Um, now you've done you've done a bunch of cruise ships too. Cruise that's ships. That's a mixed bag, the right? Totally I've never done a cruise bag. ship. I've I did a prom boat once. Really? Yeah. yeah but which uh-huh. is kind of weird, just because you. I, I think I bombed, and then you're on a three-hour oh. boat with prom kids who hate you. I think the worst one there was. Um, it happened about a year and a half ago. And I do occasionally well. And I'm going to tell another story here about bombing in the St. Louis Funny Bone, too. But I, bombing stories are more fun. Yeah, they are more fun. Not, they, they really want to see here. I they're killed horrible. Story. I did the show, and it went well. Oh, that's yeah, a fun story. Yeah, exactly. It's only some fucking... The, uh, this was like two years ago, maybe, on Regent Oceana Cruise Lines. And it was a... Um, People who are on a cruise for like three months, like really mega wealthy people, some of them are on for a three-month cruise from Fort Lauderdale Uh down through the Panama Canal, around the tip of South America, up into the Amazon River for a little bit, and then back to Fort Lauderdale. That that was like – and some of the people are on for the entire three or four months. Uh And and a lot of them are retirees, and I needed to do – Two forty fives and a fifteen, all different material. And the first four, and, and so I'm stretching a little bit. I'm thinking, well, I'll do some customized stuff about South America. And a lot of people were from England, so not not all my references are going over. And some of the people were 
literally in their 80s. And I just didn't connect on the first show. And I'm on for 21 days, and I'm only doing three shows. So now I have eight days to kill on this South American cruise ship where they're treating me like a king. Free drinks, free food for the whole eight days. But every time I leave the cabin, people are just like, oh, God, there's that guy who bombed in front of the entire, you know? So you're having, literally, I could go to any bar on the ship and get free drinks. Literally, any restaurant, room service 24 hours a day, and you end up doing a lot of room service because you just can't face those people who just avert the gaze. You're the guy... Now, and then the next one that I did for the same company, same itinerary, but the crowd was slightly younger, killed on these shows. And now I'm like the celebrity of the, of the cruise ship. <laughs> and I remember getting off in the Falkland Islands, a low population city in the Falklands. Half the population now on that day was the cruise ship. I felt like I was famous that day because half the city is recognizing me. You were great, you know? And and, and that was the, the, the same cruise line. But by the time I get back home, all they needed was the horrible report about the first trip. So they said, you'll never yeah, want to it's just again. amazing, like... I didn't have enough of a track record with that particular Doing these ship. shows, because I've, I've done clubs where they're like... They stop using me, and you're like, hey, is there something wrong? And they're like, yeah. oh, we got a bad comment card. Yeah. It's like, yeah. are you serious? Yeah. Like, you can't just well, judge for yourself? Like, right. Like, oh, the comment cards. Yeah. Comment like, cards. you play Del Cruz to 90-year-old people, and it doesn't go well. Right. But I guess you could say, in fairness, maybe they should just get someone who pleases 90-year-olds. Exactly. <laughs> and, you and know, that's how we want to be that comment I didn't get one bad comment card. Right. There, there were agents, like, I, some of the emails got forwarded to me. We have never gotten reports like that. What did he do? You know, horrible stacks of bad comment cards. And yet the next week, the reports couldn't have been better. But, you know, if you if it's... If yeah. It's, and, and I just don't think I have the right energy. Yeah, because so it's... Yeah, no, it's just... It's more big and broad and yeah, big silly. showbiz. Yeah, they, you know, you have to have a... Like, I'm more of a just, you've seen me, I'm just up there talking. And yeah. They, they're not expecting that. Right. Um, and then the Funny Bone comedy club. Oh, yeah. Tell me about the St. Louis Funny Bone, which really burned me out on the club's worst week I ever had, was uh, about, and I had done Letterman at this point, so I had a Letterman credit under right. my belt, so I'm feeling kind of cocky and, right. you know, feeling good about my career. And But I, I went up after a guy who just kind of folksy, and he connected on a folksy level. And I could not get these crowds, and I could feel it on Wednesday night, and I could feel it on Thursday night. And by Friday night, late show, one corner table in the back just starts going, boo. And once they hear that one person make that decision to boo, Mm -hmm. now the chattering starts. Now another boo over there. And then I go into my... uh, so. I go into my baking soda bit, figuring right. this will get the a surefire one. And a guy in the front row center with his girlfriend throws his arms up in the air and goes, He's talking about baking soda. Baking soda's not funny. I go, Baking soda <laughs> is funny. Oh, yeah. I can give give me your address. I will send you a tape of people laughing at me talking about baking soda. I love when people like and said then, it's like yeah. baking soda is not funny. Well, you, 
anything could be funny. Anything, like, anything. No subject of a joke sounds funny. Exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. The subject. I, I was just getting into it. And then I'll never forget this this one woman left the club and then people started walking out. She holds both hands up, middle finger, she goes, You suck motherfucker. There was such hostility, such It's just anger. amazing, like it'd be nice and, if a club was just like Yeah. Said, you know what? Get everyone, get the fuck out of my club and don't yeah, come back. But was, they're so afraid. It was like, a mob scene, it was bad. And then they let me go. They go, you can you can flip flop and feature, and he the other guy will go on. I go, I right, know you hired me as a headliner. There you go, you, you, we got to send you home, right? Okay, fine. Yeah. They gave me the airfare back home, and that was that. Did was they a, pay you for the full week? Yeah, I, if I remember correctly, I think no. they did. Well, yeah. that's an honor. Yeah, and they were cool about it. They yeah. were like, we understand, just didn't work out. But then I got banned from the whole chain, and they, you know, it's just like yeah, literally. It's, so, it's that's you the want, reason to stay in the business is just because yeah. half these people that ban you, yeah, I like mean, they're just like, what are they doing now? Oh, exactly. You know, there's people I'm mad at, and they're just like, who oh, got me mad 15 years ago, and you're like, I bet I'm doing better than that yeah, guy, right, right? I bet I'm having a happier life than that guy. To the, absolutely. To this day, anytime a St. Louis sports team does well, it bumps me out. I still root against any St. Louis team in any sporting event. See, God, was probably 10 years there's some nice people in St. Louis. Exactly. Time, right? And I, just from my own personal perspective, <laughs> right. had some great shows. I, I, that I was literally heartbroken when the Cardinals won the World Series a couple of years ago. <laughs> I, was, I still want that whole town to suffer for what they did to me in that funny bone week. Cool, man. I think yeah. uh, I think we'll uh, wrap this baby up. Is there any uh, any sort of website you want to? Oh, uh, I mean, I have a basic. Just oh, you know what? Uh, if people could add me on Pandora, Tom Ryan, that would be yeah. Cool. Add go to me his, on yeah, Pandora, if you're on Pandora, make a Tom Ryan station and uh, comedientomryan.com yeah, is uh, my bio and my YouTube clips. You know, if I had a turntable here, we could just play tracks in between breaks, right? Um, Cool. And you're on Twitter? Do you the Twitter? Yeah, I, I, I tweet about once a month. If you want once a month tweets, <laughs> yeah. was it Comic yeah. Tom Ryan? Uh, comedian Tom comedian Ryan. Comedian Tom Ryan. Yeah, uh, cool. Thanks for coming by, man. Thank you, Todd. That was You've fun. known me for 25 years. 20, 26, You were there when 25. it all started. That's right. You were there before we ever knew that I would eventually have a podcast yeah. that I would record while uh, sirens and babies and or dogs, dogs. would be uh, yapping in the background. Thanks. Thanks a lot, man. You got it. Thank you, Todd. All right, everyone, that's our show. I hope you enjoyed Tom Ryan. thought it would be cool to end by playing that baking soda bit that Tom mentioned a couple of times. It's from his album, Downtime Enthusiast. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Todd Barry, toddberry.com, toddberrypodcast at gmail.com, and you can go to Feral Audio. They make this all happen for me. Um... And you can donate to podcasts there and listen to a lot of great ones. Feralaudio.com. Here's Tom Ryan from his album Downtime Enthusiast, which is available on iTunes and eMusic and other services. So those phone companies are making a lot of money from us. They really are. A lot of companies out there, I have no idea how they survive. I've always wondered how the Morton Salt Company makes any money. How long does it take you folks to go through one of those big blue drums of Morton Salt? Five years? 
What'd you pay for it? Quarter? Oh, they're just raking it in. I mean, even if you're a lifetime customer, they're going to make, what, three bucks from you? If they do everything right. Because really, in the last five years, I've had three cars, four apartments, one Morton Salt. And I didn't even pay for it. It was handed down to me from my grandmother. That metal chute was a little damaged. So I had to take it into the Morton repair guy. 30 bucks. That's where they're making their money. And I think the people at Arm & Hammer Baking Soda used to have the same problem. Because we were using, what, about a teaspoon a year? Of baking soda at the most? So they got together, they had a meeting. They said, let's see, what can we tell them to get them to use more baking soda? They must have been really drunk. I got a good idea. Why don't we tell them you can put it in the refrigerator? It'll take away the odors. <laughs> oh, that's good, man. That's real good. I got a better one. Why don't we tell them you can brush your teeth with baking soda? Oh, what the heck? Why don't we tell them to take the whole box and just pour it down the drain? Remember that commercial? They actually told us to pour it down the drain to help keep the drain smelling clean and fresh. No other American company had that kind of nerve. And we believe them. We're over there, really? You buy it, then you pour it down the drain? All right. Oh my God, it's empty. We need some more. There's some in the fridge. <laughs> Helps keep the drain smelling clean and fresh. How often have you walked into someone's home? Oh, man. Is that your drain? You're going to need at least three boxes. What's next? They're going to tell us, hey, you know that big hole in the ozone? Yeah. It'll patch it up. Really? Yep. Take the whole box, open it up, and fling it. Now you got to do it every day. We'll be out there every day. Woohoo! I think it's starting to work. It's amazing what people use it for. Anybody here use it for anything strange? Like, I don't know, baking? <laughs> Imagine that use. Somebody told me they use it to clean that corrosion that forms around your car battery cables. Yeah. You know what else works on that? <sighs> Every time. No baking soda was necessary. People use it for everything. Laundry detergent, carpet deodorizer, crack cocaine. It's true. They now use baking soda to make crack cocaine. That's why now on the front of the box, that guy's arm is real skinny. And the hammer's gone because he sold it.
This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs. Introducing the new spicy Cajun chicken sub, Cajun seasoned grilled chicken breast, zesty cherry peppers, and house-made Cajun mayo. Just $5.55 for a medium. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs would donate a minimum of $1 million in 2019 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.11% of every purchase.